On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got some new releases from Bleachbit, KDE Falcon, Albert, the keyboard launcher, Caprine, a desktop app for Facebook Messenger, and more. We'll follow up with applications we've covered in previous episodes, then we'll check out future roadmaps of some projects like Fedora, Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, and Solus 4. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. Before we get started, I'd just like to take a moment to mention the Tux Digital Patreon. If you'd like to contribute to the show or if you'd like to support the channel, please consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. Let's get to the show. Up first in the show is Bleachbit 2.0 has been released this week. If you're not familiar, Bleachbit is a like a cleaning tool. Have you ever heard of a CCleaner in Windows? This is basically the same thing for Linux allows you to free disk space, reduce size of backups and stuff like that, and uh, like delete unnecessary like temp files. It could like clear out the cache of specific programs like for example Firefox and Chrome. So you can you can clean up the like excess things. It can also do preparing disk images for compression. I think Bleachbit is probably the best solution for this kind of thing. You know, whether you're talking about GUI or not, I think it's pretty pretty up there. So, Bleachbit 2.0. Next up is KDE Falcon Web Browser was uh, released with a first release under the KDE umbrella with 3.0. They've changed a lot of stuff with the like the build system. So instead of QMake, they're going to make using CMake or using XDG paths. And they've added a new extension, which is for vertical tabs. It allows you to have instead of a tab bar across the top, you can have it on the side in like a sidebar orientation. So that's pretty cool if you like that kind of thing. Also, if you're interested, the last ep- the last release of Quapzilla or Cupzilla or whatever I don't I'm not sure doesn't matter anymore, so don't have to know. Um, that will also have vertical tabs, which is coming pretty soon. So there you go, Falcon Web Browser. It is very nice. It's like very smooth. If you haven't tried it before, you should definitely give it a shot because it's lightweight browser that also renders everything properly. That's rare these days. <laughs> so. Onion Chair 1.3 was released this week, and uh, this is a this is really interesting because it allows you to securely and anonymously share files of basically any size over the Tor network. It makes it available as an Onion service for Tor users, and it makes it where they they generate like basically unguessable URLs with hashed IDs for the files. So when you share the file, you don't have to worry about you know it's it, unlikely someone's going to figure it out. So. This, the latest version has a massive UI redesign, which is always nice. You know, improving user experience based on, you know, the application GUI is always a good thing. And they've added a couple new features. One of the features that they added was uh, pluggable transports. And they've also added the ability to cancel a share before it even starts. So that's nice. Like, instead of having a share, like, sending out a share and then you can't pull it back, this allows you to pull it back if you need to. If you're interested in checking it out, you can use the show note in the video description for Onion Share 1.3. So, this week we got a release for Amarok 2.9. It's the first release since 2015, and it's the last expected release for the dependencies of libraries of KDE 4 and Qt 4. 
So this is going to be the the next step for Amarok is to support Qt5 and KDE Frameworks 5. So in this release, they've fixed they've fixed about like a little bit over 20 bug fixes, and they've transitioned to now building with newer versions of GCC, and uh, they've also fixed some cr- uh, crashing issues as well as changed to using the latest FFmpeg for encoding. So that's great. So you know, looking forward to Amarok new version. Probably not the music player for me, but if you want to check it out, give it a shot. Also, to a follow-up for some previous applications we've talked about, this is Musix. And Musix is an application that is built on Electron. It's a music player based on Electron. It's open source. Uh, They've added a lot of interesting features since the last time we talked about it, which, by the way, was on episode one of This Week in Linux. So, yep, that's a throwback. And the latest version added some nice sorting options. Um, like there was the, one of the things that I didn't like about music the first time I talked about it was that some of the features that it didn't have, like it had like built for them to be used, but they didn't work at the time. Now those seem to be fixed. So that's fantastic. And they've also added native support for notifications as well as the MPRIS support was added. And that's fantastic because it integrates it with your desktop environments, music, applets and widgets and stuff like that. So that's always nice to have. Also, a follow-up for Tizonia, which was on episode 21 of This Week in Linux. We talked about how they were working on adding Plex support for their Plex servers, which is included in this release. So that's awesome. So if you you want to have a streaming music player from your terminal and you use Plex, give Tizonia a shot. Up next in the show is Albert, which is a keyboard launcher or an application launcher, also known as a quick launcher. It's essentially, it's you activate a keyboard shortcut, it pops up a launcher, then you type in searches for applications. You can do different, like maybe like calculator stuff. You can like have different extensions based on what you want to do. So Albert is a Python-based keyboard launcher, and the latest version added a Pomodoro extension, which Pomodoro is a timekeeping system, added Mathematica, and cryptocurrencies uh, support for you know, cryptocurrency looking up for like coin market cap stuff like that. It also added information like you know you can look up different like emojis if you want or output like epoch time stuff like that. Epoch is the uh, Unix timestamp if you're not aware. Albert is an interesting application because it it's done quite well. Um, I can't really say like a review on it or anything because I don't I don't typically use it because I use KRunner which provides the exact same kind of function except uh, KRunner is built into Plasma, so I don't have a reason to use Albert. But when I did use Albert before, it it was pretty nice. You know, if you're interested in checking that out and you don't use Plasma, so you, you, know, you don't have KRunner, definitely check out Al- Albert. Next up is Caprine. I think it's Caprine. might be Caprine, but it's probably Caprine. Uh, this is a Facebook Messenger for your desktop. It's bu- built on Electron. That kind of makes the most sense to do Electron for web services type of thing. But th- they make a claim in this on this application that's really odd. They call it, it's a, it's a privacy-focused Facebook Messenger app. And uh, that's not a thing. You can't have privacy when you use Facebook. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So I guess what they mean is the fact that you can make it so that the uh, while you're typing, the people can't see that you're typing, or that you've they're got, they're not getting read receipts. So if you wanted to see something without them knowing, you can do that with this. So I guess that's kind of what they mean. But as far as like Facebook not seeing what you sent, yeah, they did. They totally did. 
uh, what this this latest release added support for like keyboard shortcuts and markdown support, including code blocks. They've also added support for Facebook Workplace. I had never heard of that until this application came across my, I guess, desk. Sure, the, the news desk. And anyway, so if you're interested in checking out a reasonably usable solution for using Facebook Messenger on your desktop, then check out Caprine. Uh, I say reasonably usable because Facebook Messenger itself is not that usable, but this might make it more of a sane solution than the basic, like, Facebook website. is. It's not an ideal experience, I guess is what I'm saying. Up next in the show is Wine 3.3 was released this week, and also Wine Staging was released for 3.3. Now, if you don't remember, a few episodes ago, we talked about wine staging being not really de deprecated or anything, but like the main developers of wine staging deciding to leave the project. They There was a fork for it, so it wasn't really worried about the future of it, but more like what's changing kind of thing. So it was actually really quick for them to have changed it so, you know, so soon. So I mean, made updates. So like the 3.3 transition from one team to another, pretty quickly done. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, but also 3.3 3 adds support for various different things like multi-threaded command stream with Direct3D. It's adding support for multi-sample textures, well, by default. And probably the most interesting for me is the Wine Vulcan support. So Wine Vulcan is a separate branch of Wine for making support with the Vulkan APIs. This release of 3.3 is the first version where they've merged the Wine Vulkan branch to mainline Wine. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, Wine 3.3. Vulkan 1.1 was released this week, and this is like one, the, the fir this first major release for Vulkan since the uh, initial 1.0. So that's really exciting, especially considering all the uh, graphics drivers developers are basically all in for Vulkan 1.1. So you have NVIDIA releasing their 387.42.05 beta driver to support Vulkan 1.1. That was that was easy to say. The AMD VLK Radeon driver, that one's, that one's a lot easier, is, has support for 1.1. And Intel's open source drivers also support 1.1. Now, what's a really interesting aspect to this release is that there was a, for a while, there were people like for feature requests to allow for a compositor side extensions for Wayland via Vulkan. So like trying to basically write a Vulkan compositor backend. This was not done in the 1.1, but the request was closed at, because it's now technically possible. So while they didn't do it themselves, they did make it possible that someone could do it so they can make a pure Wayland compositor via Vulkan. That is pretty cool. And also, finally, the next part of the Vulkan release is that the Molten VK support has been released. That is, the Molten VK is allowing Vulkan to run on Mac. And now you might be wondering, why should we care? And fair enough, because this is not a Mac show. But the reason why it's important is because that was like the only thing holding back Vulkan as far as like huge adoption. Vulkan supported previously Windows, Linux, and Android. Now it supports Windows, Linux, Android, and Mac. Even more incentive for developers to make their games using Vulkan. So that's actually really awesome. Universal APIs are very nice. Next up is desktop environment news, and up first is KDE Plasma 
we got some news this week, so it's really interesting, where you can have like the global menu support has been up, uh, updated for GTK applications. So the releaser 5.13, which is coming in June, will have support for GTK applications, both normal applications as in traditional decorations, as well as client-side decorations or CSDs. The reason why this is very cool is that they built an interface proxy where it allows you to have the G menu and the Dbus menu protocols work together. So this means that the the GTK applications don't have to make any modifications and they'll just they'll just work with this new proxy interface. So this is really cool because of the fact that it works with the CSDs as well. So like the hamburger menu, the contents of that would be activated for a global menu. Also, they announced that the screen sharing in Plasma Wayland is planned for 5.13. This is not really guaranteed yet, but they're hopeful that it will. What's really cool is that it's utilizing Gnome Gnomes, their XDG desktop portal library or pipe wire as a foundation for this initial support. They're hopeful that it'll work in 5.13. Might not, but hopefully it does. Also, we got a lot of updates for a blog post from the KDE team. The interesting thing I wanted to talk about in this particular one is this Plasma Volume widget. The update to the widget adds the ability so that you can switch the device for an existing audio stream. So you could be like listening to something and you're like, well, I don't want to pause it and go to the different Bluetooth speaker or something like that. You can just choose it in the context menu of the device or the application and send that audio stream to another device. That is pretty cool. KDE Plasma 5.13 looks to be pretty awesome. UbiPorts is working on a Unity 8 for Debian. Uh, Unity 8 is already available for people for testing if you want to try it out in Ubuntu 18.04. We talked about that in a previous episode. The link to that will be in the show notes. But UbiPorts is saying that Ubuntu, uh, Unity's, Unity 8 will be working on Debian in the future, and they're currently working on that. I'm not really sure how they're going to make that work because they're still using Mir to make Unity 8. Not really sure what the support is for Mir on Debian, but it'll be really interesting to see what comes out. Up next in the show is Distro News, and this week we got a release of 8.2 of Linux from Scratch. If you haven't heard of it, Linux from Scratch is uh, not necessarily a distro, it kind of, kind of is, but it's more of a, a guide to create your own installation of Linux from scratch. The latest version has 4.15.3 kernel. They've updated to glibc 2.27, binutils 2.30, and gcc 7.3. They've also decided to promote Python 3 and OpenSSL to the base version of LFS. So if you're looking for an incredibly user-friendly, easy distro, this is not it. <laughs> this, is, this is not that. If you're looking to learn the ins and outs of how the Linux infrastructure works and build everything yourself and compile everything and have no you know, pre-built binaries or installation scripts or anything like that, then this is perfect for that. Linux from scratch, 8.2. Lineage OS can now be installed on a Raspberry Pi. I mean, it's, it's unofficial. It's not being maintained by the Lineage OS, but it's an unofficial project, really cool, that is trying to create builds for Raspberry Pi so you can now use Lineage OS 15.1 or Android Oreo version. And it's not supported by them or, or even acknowledged, really, but it is very cool that this is even possible. If you want to check it out, let you know it's, it's, in, it's in a development state, and it's for like advanced users, but it's, it is really cool. 
it, it might not be as uh, as performant as you might expect, but it's uh, it's still pretty pretty interesting. If you'd like to check it out, check the link in the show notes or in the video description for Lineage OS on a Raspberry Pi. Up next in the show is Solus has an update for their software center. They have a full redesign and basically rewritten the whole thing. They've had like a lot of cool features that is coming out. This is basically like one step closer to Solus 4, so they haven't really announced any particular date for that release, but fairly soon-ish. Solus Software Center, the latest version, is going to be available in the Solus 4 release. And what's co- what's coming with it is they've made it the discoverability of applications a lot easier. So they've added updates when applications are you know new for that week, like n- newly added to the Software Center or applications that have been recently updated. They've also added a situation where you can have a software list that is curated by the Solus team, like an editor pick sort of thing. And they've done some back-end work as well heavily threaded now so like the design the structure of the core is threaded and it has responsive ui so if you resize these the window it shows more content based on the size of the the viewport that you provide it they've had they also added the ability to stack operations which is kind of like a queue so you can say install this application and then this other application and this other application and it would just do it in a sequence which is really awesome uh, they've also added support for Git, the Git history and the chains log of applications. So this is an interesting idea I've never seen a software center do, where it'll actually display the Git info for the change log in the application, so you can see what all has changed directly in the software center without having to go to like GitHub or whatever source control system they use. And it even includes the markdown for that Git that Git data, so that it'll make the change logs not only be have useful information to actually look good too. So that's pretty cool. This particular version doesn't come with snap support, even though they were working on it. They decided to like postpone that support that the full snap support for the next release, but it, they do have like the groundwork for snaps built into it. So in a future release that will come. So yeah, Solus 4 is looking really good. And this is just another example of that. This week we had an update from Debian. 9.4 was released. This is a point release that adds a lot of corrections and security issue fixes and things like that. Like, for example, Spectre Meltdown. If you already had 9.3 and you were going to update that version, you'd already have those those fixes. But this is like a new install point release that will have those built into it. So, you know, that's, that's pretty important as far as like uh, new users type of thing. So if you already have an existing installation of Debian, you already had those fixes. But this is for people who are brand new. Another thing that happened for Debian is that Debian is now available on Windows, the Windows subsystem for Linux. You have a Debian install, and I guess that's good. You could argue both ways. It's You could say it's bad for Linux because people can just stay using Windows while still using features, but you could also say the opposite. It gives people incentives because, oh, they've never tried Linux before, and now that I've tried it, I might you know switch to try it more, like more like a real Linux installation. So, you know, maybe that'd be cool. So we'll see what happens there. The beta releases for Ubuntu 18.04 LTS flavors were released this week. The participating flavors were Zubuntu, Kubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Budgie, and Ubuntu Chillin'. Lubuntu and Ubuntu Studio were not available in this particular beta, but there are plans for beta 2 for them to be included. The cool things about each distro or each flavor, and starting up with uh, Zubuntu. There, you know, Zubuntu is one of those 
those distros that doesn't really need to change that much. Like it's a stable release. So most of the stuff that they, they did was UI improvements and plugin improvements. So I'd say that if you want a distro Ubuntu flavor that's um, just going to just be solid for the most part for a very long time, Zubuntu is one of those options. But there was not that much changing in this particular release. So we're going to move on to Kubuntu. And Kubuntu has a lot of changes coming. They The beta one has uh, Plasma 5.12.2. It also has support for KDE Application 17.12.2. And it's switching from Dragon Player to VLC. So that is uh, interesting because, well, Dragon Player is um, not known for being the best option for media players, but VLC is very known, so that's going to be good for you know people who are switching over. They'll be familiar with VLC itself. They've also decided to replace Amarok as the default mu music player with Cantata. I'm not totally sure if Cantata is the way you say it, but I think so. Cantata. Kubuntu is uh, 18.04 is also one of the, uh, is the particular version distro that I'm currently participating with, like contributions. Uh, so if you want to check it out, uh, you can see some of the things I helped with, like, for example, the the hybrid interface. So, like, the the panels, the widgets, and the menus are all in, like, a, the dark breeze theme, whereas the windows themselves are in a, the bright breeze theme, so it's, like, a nice hybrid style. So I helped with that. I mean, okay, technically, I didn't really help as far as write the code. Okay, I just made the suggestion. I didn't really do anything. I just gave them ideas of what to do, so... I'm going to count it anyway, because, you know, then, well, anyway, so moving on, <laughs> we'll go to Ubuntu Mate, 18.04, has a lot of interesting updates as well. They've, this is the, this version will have Mate Desktop 1.20. The, you might have heard of the, the Ubuntu 18.04 minimal installation. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Ubuntu Mate is going to include that as well so that you can be able to use a minimal installation of Ubuntu Mate. They're, they've made a, an, a really cool feature of like the Unity style layout where you can have uh, undecorated windows when you maximize a window. So like the, like the decorations here, like the the the, the title bar and the, like the, the side panel stuff is going to be like automatically removed when you maximize. That's nice. They've added a, a Unity style dash menu, like a, a Unity dash style menu. So like the brisk menu can now be like a full screen application menu if you'd like it to be. They've added indicators by default and all layouts. So that's awesome. The global menu has a lot of improvements. You can now have it uh, automatically remove the application menu from the window when you activate the, the, the global menu. So like you have a global menu it would automatically remove window from the, 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 the application itself. And if you disable the global menu, it will put it back. So it's automatically. So that's nice. We've also got support for Marco, how now has quadrant window tiling. We talked about that previously, but this is more like the, the version of Ubuntu Mate that's going to include that. We talked about previously 1.20. Uh, you can look at the show notes in the video description for the the release, all the details about Mate 1.20. We're not going to cover it again over here because we already, we already talked about it previously, so check that out. Uh, next up is Ubuntu Budgie, and this is the last flavor we're going to talk about today. So Ubuntu Budgie 1804 has a new theme, like a new GTK theme called, I'm not going to get this right, Pasillo. Pasillo. Let's go with that. And it's also they're also going to be supporting the Ubuntu 1804 minimal installation option. That is nice. 
There's going to have a new um, improved Budgie Welcome app, which in this case is going to be a snap. So that's really interesting. They've improved the keyboard shortcuts. They've uh, added dynamic workspaces. So like how you might, if you're familiar with the way that workspaces work in uh, GNOME 3, like they'll, it'll automatically, like if you don't need the workspace, it'll remove it. And if you do need it, it'll automatically add it. So that's cool. And you can have now with Ubuntu Budgie, 1804 mp3 support out of the box thanks to the patent being expired for mp3 so that's nice to have and all of the other features that are ubuntu like inherited features like color emoji and open vnc and stuff like that ubuntu budgie looks like it's going to be a really good option and if you're a if you're a fan of solus or you like the way solus looks and works but you'd rather have ubuntu base this is exactly what you want the Bungie interface on top of Ubuntu 18.04. I'm looking forward, like the 18.04 release is going to be very interesting in a many, many ways. Up next in the show is some Linux hardware news with Chromebook. So we got some interesting information about that's possible support to be added for containerized Linux apps in Chromebooks and for Chrome OS users. Uh, that's really cool because it allows you to use real Linux applications inside of Chrome OS instead of a web browser or just a web browser. Like this is useful for people who are, you know, Chrome OS users, but it has a lot of potential and I look forward to see what happens with it. Um, another up update that they have for Chrome OS is the ability to have better support for external displays and a new floating keyboard, like a virtual on-screen keyboard. So they are making some nice improvements to it. I still would suggest a more full-fledged Linux distribution, but either way. So next up is some very, very exciting. I know everyone loves these kind of topics. Copyright law. But this is actually really interesting. You can see the title of the article written by Stephen J. Von Nichols was Linux beats legal threat from one of its own developers. That sounds weird, right? What happened was Patrick McCarty was being accused of seeking his own like financial gain by approaching companies to like say that they're they're using his code without permission and therefore they have to pay him money to do it. He contributed some code to the Linux kernel and he'd been the chair of the Netfilter core development team. He had some like interesting situation he could like where this was like unique where he could do this. So in 2016, the Netfilter developers suspended him from the team because they received many allegations that he had been basically, you know, we'll, we'll just say, you know, allegations that he was approaching companies and then asking for money in order to, like, not sue them. He refused to discuss the issues with them, and then he refused to sign off on, the like, the principles of the project. The situation came down to, like, he had, a law, like, had lawsuits against these companies, and uh, now his injunction was, it was, uh, was withdrawn Basically, the case has been thrown out, but not by the judge, by like all parties being deciding not to go through with it. Like, it turns out like McCarty's going to have to pay the legal fees for both sides of the case, too. So that's kind of, you know, it's interesting that he pulled out. Like, we have no reason that really why that was that it happened. But it's it's overall, it's really good that the, like, the companies who are participating in the kernel development don't have to worry about this kind of thing. We talked about this somewhat recently in a few episodes ago where there was a situation of the kernel team developing uh, new policies on top of the existing license. And that was to like mitigate stuff like this being possible in the future. Maybe this uh, that had an effect to this. I'm not really sure. But I still think it was interesting to talk about because the fact that one of the developers of the kernel sued companies for using his code in the kernel that he made open source... I just thought that was interesting. 
So it's nice to know that it's over. Well, for now, there's not there's really no judgment made, so it could be brought up again. But for the time being, it's done. So we got an update this week from Google about the Android Nine developer preview, and we got a lot of information about like being able to have multi-camera API improvements, HDR uh, video with VP9 codec, and get better message notifications and all kinds of nice things, and of course, supports for notches. <sighs> notches. We totally needed that. Anyway, thanks Apple. Thanks for making the notch a thing that we all wanted. Great. I, I just have to say, this decision is most certainly not a top-notch one. Purism announced this week that they are bringing hardware encryption to the Librem 5. We don't have a ton of information about this, but the progress report talks about bringing their uh, hardware encryption of the, the trusted platform modules that they do with the Librem 13 and Librem 15 laptops with Coreboot to the Librem 5 smartphone, which is pretty awesome. It also is going to leverage uh, GNU PG or GPG and smart card designs. So it's going to include it by default into the hardware and software and even services, but they haven't really described what the services really means. Like, But we'll see. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, also, they, Purism announced that they are going to be making their own Wayland compositor for the Librem 5 smartphone. So I guess there might be some kind of issue where Mutter isn't working properly for the phone. So they're making their own compositor. Uh, they're going to use the WL Roots and the Rootston libraries for speeding up the, the, the development of bringing this, of bringing this, comp, this compositor. And WL Roots is, if I recall correctly, is the project that the i3 for Wayland, like Sway, Waycooler, and Waymonad team are developing together to make to make a, a Wayland compositor for them to all use so that maybe like this the purism thing that they're building is going to be using that somehow they're going to be collaborating that'd be cool if they were I don't know we haven't got information exactly for that or not but it's pretty cool and they've showed some also if you want to check out the show notes in the video description you'll see some uh, links to like the uh, developer board videos that they've pro they've produced in the product report and stuff like that so this is really cool and Librem 5 is looking like it actually might meet the deadline that they gave. Uh, I'm very excited to see it. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at tuxdigital.com slash Patreon, or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you don't want to type as much, tuxdigital.com slash shirt. Just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital for your weekly source of Linux news. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. <laughs>